Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from a very icy Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Jalani Tulo and rather time... Tabisa Lohoku and Tami Kluza. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. UN expresses concern over attacks on foreigners in South Africa and concern over rising political tensions in Burundi. In economics, South African Airways denies merger talks with Air China and in sports news, Zimbabwe Football Association in financial crisis. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Kenya has joined Mozambique, Malawi and Somalia in expressing its readiness to evacuate its citizens from South Africa. If the ongoing xenophobic attacks are affecting them, Kenya's Foreign Affairs Cabinet Secretary Amina Mohamed says Nairobi is closely monitoring the situation. We're concerned. We're concerned. We haven't had any reports of any Kenya being affected yet, but we're concerned. And uh, our High Commission in Pretoria is fully, fully uh, informed and has been following it very, very closely. And we've told them that if, if any issues arise, we want to know immediately so that we can, uh, you know, support our compatriots. And we don't have any direct casualties, no direct casualties. And uh, we are preparing an evacuation plan in case we need it. Uh, some of the Kenyans actually voluntarily moved to a camp. The United Nations has meanwhile urged the South African government to protect victims of xenophobic violence. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric. While acknowledging efforts made by the government of South Africa in response to the xenophobic violence in the country, the UN is also concerned about populations that have been displaced as a result of this violence and encourages the government to provide adequate protection to all affected persons. Kenyan authorities have confirmed at least nine new cases of Ebola in the southwest region near the border with Sierra Leone. Authorities launched a four-day door-to-door campaign in the region on Sunday as part of an emergency 45-day drive to tackle Ebola in the west of the country. National Coordinator for the Fight Against Ebola, Sukuba Keita, says authorities also detected 10 suspicious deaths in the community, but only one of these had been confirmed as Ebola. The DRC government has agreed to exhume bodies from a mass grave after accusations of killings. The Justice and Human Rights Minister Alexis Tambwe Mwamba says the government has nothing to hide surrounding the burial of 421 bodies in rural Maluku. Authorities say the bodies are mostly fetuses, stillborn babies and homeless people that were buried to make more room in the Kinshasa morgue. The United Nations called on the Congolese authorities to exhume the bodies. 
And finally, a new round of UN-facilitated talks on Libya has convened in Morocco. Rival governments have battled for power in the North African countries since last August, and airstrike blamed on the internationally recognized administration, hit an airbase controlled by its opponents on Wednesday. The internationally recognized government has been based in the eastern town since an Islamist-backed militia alliance seized the capital in August. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And it is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. An Ethiopian national has been set alight by locals in South Africa's Gauteng province. The incident happened as locals targeted foreign-owned shops at Greenfields near Tokoza. Some families from Takane, Makause and Marathon informal settlements have sought refuge at a temporary shelter in Ellsberg after fleeing from attacks on Wednesday night. Horisane Sitole compiled this report. It's alleged the Ethiopian national Faiz Abeyo was targeted by a disgruntled community of Greenfields who had an issue with their ward councillor. They took out their frustration by attacking Abeyo. His brother Tashumali Diibo. My brother is standing here. He was standing here. Standing here. His shop is closed. After that, his petrol, his bring it. After that, his matches, just he's going and fire. All bodies is not right. My brother is, is still alive, is not alive, I don't know now. It's not good condition this moment. He says his brother's attack has left him devastated. I'm black person, I'm black, I'm African, I'm Ethiopian boy, the same color, the same blood. This is not okay. The xenophobic violence which started in Devon last week spread to parts of Gauteng. On Wednesday night, Several foreign-owned shops were attacked and looted at Makause and Marathon informal settlements in Primrose in Agruleni. Many families were displaced from their homes and had to seek refuge at the local park and police station. Some of the foreign nationals believe the attacks have little to do with xenophobia. This foreign national, Eric Muchena, says the attacks are acts of criminality. No, most, it's not hatred, in fact. You see, most of them, the attacks, who don't like to work, you understand? Most people who are educated, who, who like to work, they don't behave like this. They don't. They? Most people, they don't work. They're just waiting for people to grab their, some people's stuff. Look at Somalians right now. They're closing the shops. You think they're going to manage to open these plaza shops there? Never. It's not xenophobia attack or anything, but this is a criminal act. Because these things are written in Deben, somebody wants to take a chance, opportunity that, okay, now there's a gap. I can rob these foreigners. In Actonville, police had to fire rubber bullets and tear gas to disperse residents of a nearby hostel who are attempting to break into shops. They want foreign nationals to return to their countries. 
They accused them of taking their jobs and being responsible for crimes in the area. Meanwhile, government has condemned the violence. I'm Orisani Sitol in Johannesburg. South African President Jacob Zuma is calling on South Africans to work hand-in-glove with the police by providing information that would lead to the arrest of those who are instigating and perpetrating xenophobic violence against foreign African nationals. The President made this call in Parliament yesterday. Mercedes Besant has more from the South African Parliament. The president made a statement in the National Assembly followed by a snap debate where political parties spoke out against xenophobic violence that broke out in KwaZulu-Natal. He reassured the nation that South Africans are not xenophobic. President Zuma also says not all of our fellow Africans from other parts of our continent are committing crime or are illegally in the country, as claimed by those who instigate and commit attacks against the victims. He is challenging the nation to work together to identify those who are responsible for such attacks. The police have been directed to work round the clock to protect both foreign nationals and citizens and to arrest looters and those committing acts of violence. We urge communities to assist the police by providing information on the incidents that have taken place in Gauteng and Guazulu-Natal so that the perpetrators can be brought to justice. The president is also appealing to social media users to play a positive instead of a negative role when posting comments that do not build the nation or comments that instigate violence in society. We also urge those who use social media to refrain from fanning the flames of violence on Facebook, Twitter and other platforms. We all have a responsibility to promote social cohesion, peaceful coexistence and good relations in the country. Foreign nationals help us to develop a cosmopolitan atmosphere and we welcome their presence. Political parties were unanimous in condemning the violence during the SNAP debate, but the president also faced some criticism. EFF leader Julius Malema says President Zuma should take responsibility for the violence. You have lost control of the country because you have lost control of your own family. Your own son continues to say these people must be killed. You stand up here and you do not say anything. King Zuelettini has been misinterpreted as he says. We accept that explanation. But you do not take a platform to ask the king to call upon the people of KwaZulu-Natal and everywhere else, particularly those who could have misunderstood him, to refuse to engage in violent activities. 
DA parliamentary leader Musi Maimani says the images of xenophobic violence he has recently seen on television reminded him of the time he grew up during the apartheid era in a violent Soweto. In fact, I recall an image I saw last week that really touched me, not only as a South African, but as a husband and a parent. It was the image of a mother and a father fleeing an angry mob carrying their children to safety. My heart goes out to those foreign nationals. See, growing up in Soweto, we have seen the capability of humans to inflict violence on one another. I don't believe I have seen people being beaten, I've seen people being necklaced, I've seen their properties being destroyed. These images I shall never forget and I pray that our children will never have to witness these images firsthand. Our humanity, Botobarona, is slipping away from us and we cannot allow that. IFP leader Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi says he feels ashamed to face former African leaders who helped him during the struggle against apartheid. When you stand amongst nations of the world, how can we feel anything but shame? I remember visiting President Kaunda in 1974. After we were invited together with the late Dr. Oliver Tamba, our leader, to Addis Ababa to talk about sanctions, and in Kenya, we discussed the matter and Mr. Tambo said I must go because we shouldn't disagree on a public platform together. And we traveled together to Lusaga where I asked, I thank President Kaunda for giving sanctuary to our political leaders. How can I face him today? Musiwa Lekota from COBE had this to say. The Congress of the People sees Afrophobia, Xenophobia as nothing but Afrophobia and Xenophobia and utterly condemns it. We are also critical of those who carelessly or overtly fan the flames of hatred by word or deed. Making his maiden speech was new PAC MP Lutando Mabinda, who condemned the attacks. We cannot as Africans, as African people, attack others on the basis that they are not South Africans. To us as PAC, South Africa is an integral part of the whole continent which is Africa, and it cannot be isolated from the rest of Africa. The African independent leader, Philip Gallo, raised concern about foreigners who are illegally in the country. Those who came into the country illegally must be repatriated back to their countries. The AIC commands the Malawi government for the bold steps it has taken to ensure that the people of Malawi are repatriated back home. The big brother, President Robert Mugabe, must do the When he took the podium, Home Affairs Minister and ANC MP Malusi Gigaba reminded South Africans how fellow African nationals regularly contribute towards building the economy of the country. Many nationals of our neighboring countries travel to South Africa daily, weekly or monthly to buy groceries or purchase goods from our retail shops to go and sell in their own countries, paying toll fees on our roads and thus contributing towards revenue generation that has been so vital to increasing government social and economic expenditure to benefit South Africans. Consequently, the allegation that all foreign nationals in South Africa do not pay tax is as preposterous as the assumption that all South Africans do pay tax. But Gigaba also gave a stern warning against some of those in the South African business sector who employ undocumented and illegal foreign nationals in the country for the purpose of cheap labor.
That report by Mercedes Bissent in Parliament in Cape Town. The United Nations has expressed concern at what it called repeated incidents of attacks on foreign nationals in South Africa dating as far back as 2008. In a statement by the High Commissioner for Human Rights, but issued through the Office of the Secretary-General Spokesperson in New York, the global body urged the government to accelerate the enactment of legislation that will tackle hate crimes in the country while formulating future policies on migrants that conform to international standards. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Scenes in Durban that have shocked the world. Bricks hurled at vehicles and individuals. And while the government has been firm in its condemnation, the United Nations is alarmed at the recurrence of violence directed at foreigners in the country. The Secretary-General spokesperson, Stefan Dujeric. While acknowledging efforts made by the government of South Africa in response to the xenophobic violence in the country, the UN is also concerned about populations that have been displaced as a result of this violence and encourages the government to provide adequate protection to all affected persons, including migrants, refugees and asylum seekers. We pressed him further. Listen to my exchange with the Secretary-General spokesperson. I wondered if the UN had a broader understanding of why this is happening in South Africa today. I mean, I think a lot of people in South Africa and around the world are scratching their heads, given you know, the, the role the international community played uh, during the struggle for democracy in South Africa in terms of hosting you know, people in exile and so forth. So you know, what's your sort of read as to why this is happening in a country uh, with such a history? I'm not going to, to, to speculate on, on reasons and, and, and history. I think what we're seeing, uh, not only in South Africa, but throughout the world, uh, that migrants are at great risks uh, at a time in times of economic uh, trouble. Migrants are often uh, first targets. Um, migrants have rights; uh, they need to be protected. Governments need to ensure that legislation is up to international standards, and the underlying causes need to be addressed. Uh, now, if people have grievances, these need to be addressed uh, peacefully uh, and through dialogue. Uh, but migrants are a vulnerable population, and whether it's in South Africa, in parts of Europe, or all over the world, uh, we've seen they've become increasingly uh, targets. The Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights also called for perpetrators to be brought to book. It also encourages the government to accelerate enactment of legislation against hate crimes, hold those responsible for acts of violence and violations of human rights accountable and formulate future policy responses to the situation of migrants that conform to international standards. Several regional countries, including Malawi, Kenya and Mozambique, are taking measures to deal with the repatriation of their citizens from the country. I'm Shervin Bricepies in New York. Meanwhile, the International Organization for Migration, IOM, a UN partner agency, is monitoring the situation closely and helping the victims of the latest attacks on foreigners. For more on this, UN Radio's Eluetero Giovanni spoke to Richard Otts, IOM's chief of mission in South Africa. In 2008, there was uh, a big outbreak of violence against uh, migrants. We're currently experiencing a similar episode. The events initially were prompted by a conflict between a shop owner and a migrant boy. There was a conflict between the two that went out of hand. Riots spread in the weeks after different parts of the country. Do you have number of victims? We have now seen quite a number of people displaced. 
uh, in some of the uh, impromptu shelters that have been set up between two and a half and three thousand people are currently uh, provided with shelter and that is uh, initial estimates it could actually be a little bit higher and obviously the tension still continues in Durban so it is far from certain that this is the final number if I remember correctly I think it's six people have died and uh, uh, up to a hundred are injured by the violence what actions are being taken to protect migrants from these attacks well we advocate first of all with the government that they should put an immediate stop to the violence in the city by providing law enforcement efforts, uh, deployment of police to curb the violence, protect the migrants, and also make sure that the perpetrators of the violence are brought to, uh, to swift justice and that the um, tension in the city is brought to a minimum as an immediate response. What we are doing is uh, we're offering our assistance in terms of the repatriation of some of the victims of the violence, the people who have gotten injured or hurt and decided they want to go back to their home country. And furthermore, we're, we're obviously closely monitoring the situation and providing information to our partners, to the government, on how the situation is developing. We feel that some of the violence that we're seeing is prompted by a number of misperceptions on what migrants bring into the country. What we see in the riots is that people claim that migrants have come to South Africa to steal jobs, to take advantage of the social system, to take advantage of the health care, but also more outlandish claims. We've heard things migrants are criminal masterminds that have come to set up their criminal networks here. And another one is that migrants come into the country to steal South African women. It's a host of strange allegations that people are using as a justification for the violence against migrants. We've actually done quite a bit of research on what migrants do bring into the country. And, um, for example, it shows that migrants are typically economically active as entrepreneurs and in many cases contribute actively to job creation. The rate of entrepreneurship among migrants is twice as high as it is among uh, South Africans, and they typically uh, employ four to five South Africans. Final remarks on this uh, outbreak of xenophobic violence. You just told me that there is a trend uh, to spread to other cities. Yeah, we're, we're obviously um, we're in contact with the, with the national government. We have programming in a number of places throughout the country, particularly in areas where migrants are heavily represented, and there we're also trying to make sure that there's a fruitful dialogue between migrant communities with the host communities and with the government. Also through our implementing partners, we try to get the message out that dialogue is the best way to prevent these expressions of violence. And that was Richard Ott, IOM's Chief of Mission in South Africa, speaking to UN Radio's Eliudere Giovanni. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, réveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wima. Sun, rise it. Le soleil élevé. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishadi, Mulibwanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. The 14th Annual Oliver Empowerment Awards will be taking place at Empress Palace in Johannesburg, South Africa on the 23rd of this month. 
hosted by Top Comedia and Channel Africa. These awards recognize and honor outstanding organizations and individuals contributing to South Africa's empowerment and transformation journey. Channel Africa will keep you up to date about these awards. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Channel Africa listener, please note that as from Monday the 30th of March 2015, the English frequency to Eastern Central Africa between 0500 and 0600 Central African time changes to 5980 kHz in the 49 meter band. I repeat, the frequency will change to 5980 kHz in the 49 meter band. Also changing is the English frequency to Southern Africa between 0700 and 0800 Central African time. It is now changing to 6145 kHz in the 41 meter band. I'll repeat that. The broadcast to Southern Africa will change to 6145 kHz in the 41 meter band. Channel Africa, your voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, meanwhile, the South African Development Community Council for NGOs has also added its voice to the condemnation of the attacks and killing of foreign nationals in South Africa. The organization says South Africa has reached a tipping point, saying it must either return to the path of democracy or unravel in violence lawlessness and anarchy. For more on this, we are joined on the line from Khabaroni in Botswana by the Council's Executive Director, Buitroko Ditlake. Good morning, Buitroko, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. What is your general view on what is currently happening in South Africa? I think there are a number of challenges. Firstly, I think there are a number of uh, national issues of underdevelopment and perhaps neglect of the marginalized people. Uh, and given that uh, the, the, the wealth of a very, very few people and the state of corruption it leads uh, many, many poor people to be frustrated. And then unfortunately, they are directing their anger to other poor Africans. And I think that is a major, major challenge. And part of the problem is that there's been a very, very reticent reaction uh, by the local leadership in South Africa to address this kind of challenge. And I think it's getting out of control and urgent leadership is required to ensure that we stabilize and return back to peace. Tell me, where should it start? The council has urged South Africa to go back to the drawing board. Where should it start? My belief is that uh, the leadership, and especially from the high office of the president and perhaps deputy president, they need to convene uh, a forum to appeal to ordinary South Africans, but also Africans who are in South Africa for various reasons to begin to try to explain and for them to understand that the, the challenges that South Africa is facing, or ordinary people, 
It is a continental challenge and that the people must be able to work together. But I also believe that this is not just a South African problem. You will recall that there are a number of people who are there in South Africa, not just as economic refugees, but running away from the repressive regimes in some of the countries, civil wars and so on. And therefore, South Africa together with SADC must undertake a political responsibility to educate their citizens because this challenge will actually spread outside the borders of South Africa in retaliation and counter-retaliation. And I think this needs to be stepped out now and a coordinated effort of educating ordinary citizens that Africa will never develop if we continue to kill each other in this particular fashion. Now, Buchoko, let's speak to the issue of reports of retaliatory action. In countries like Mozambique, uh, threats to boycott South African businesses outside the country and general discontent by South Africa's neighbours. How do you see this panning out? I believe, firstly, I think some other countries also are becoming, uh, in a way, sending out these challenges by manner in which they are responding to it. I know that there are these issues in Mozambique. In Zimbabwe today, there is a march to the South African High Commission. In Zambia, they have raised the issue that the, the, the ordinary people met in Zambia a day ago, and they have raised the issue that there are many South African shops in Zambia like the checkers, retailers, and so on, that they will begin to mobilize to boycott them. And we can see where this thing is going. And it's precisely because of lack of decisive leadership, which should have stamped it out right from the word go. And I think that is a challenge that we must bear, because South Africa will go back to, to the days of apartheid when we were treated very badly, outside the, the, the country as a result of that. Bojoko, currently as we speak, it's a very volatile situation. Um, violence is escalating. Uh, people are being burned. People are being uh, beaten up. What is the solution now to make sure that the violence is curbed? As the council, what solutions do you have on the table? Because you speak of educating um, Africans going forward. But today, as we speak, we're in this volatile situation. How do we get it to end and thereafter take on the issues at hand? I think the first issue is the South African authorities to ensure that they act decisively to deal with those who are sending the violence and ensure that they are arrested. But also, it requires an urgent political leadership. And I think the president and the deputy president should, should actually go and convene forums now as we are talking. And we cannot just rely on sending out the ministers. We require the highest political. For now, there are two things that need to be done. Firstly, it is uh, the police to decisively do their job. Secondly, it's an agent for the president and the deputy president to go out to these townships and the towns 
to talk to the ordinary citizens because I can't see how you stop this thing without a very, very clear leadership. But I think uh, the Zulu king also has to be reprimanded for, for this. He hasn't even apologized. And I think we need that kind of leadership clearly demonstrating to ordinary people that this is not on and it has to stop now. Uchoko, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. We have run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That was Bui Ditlake, Executive Director of the SADC Council for NGOs, joining us on the line from Khabaroni in Botswana. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning. South Africa's International Relations Minister Maite Nkwana Mashibane will today address African diplomats on the South African government's efforts to end xenophobic attacks in the country. Kenyan authorities confirm at least nine new cases of Ebola in the southwest region near the border with Sierra Leone. And Nigerian outgoing President Goodluck Jonathan says his country does not need the help of an international force in the fight against Boko Haram. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma says the main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, has no right to challenge the National Prosecuting Authority's decision to drop corruption charges against him. This is contained in Zuma's responding affidavit to the DA's attempt to have the NPA's decision reviewed. The then acting head of the NPA, Mukotedim She, cited manipulation of prosecutorial, prosecutorial processes as the reason for his decision. However, the DA believes that the decision was politically motivated. The president says that allowing this challenge will open the system to abuse by disgruntled political challengers. Emos Pajo reports. Zuma's lawyer says there was cynical abuse of prosecutorial power to engineer political results ahead of the ANC Polokwane conference. He points a finger on Scorpion boss Leonard McCarthy and NPA head Bulelani Nguka. Harley describes McCarthy as a staunch former President Thabo Mbeki supporter and anti-Zuma, and he describes Nguka's decision not to prosecute Zuma together with his then-financial adviser Shabir Sheikh as a machiavelling twist, arguing it was deliberate and meant to disadvantage Zuma, cast a shadow of prosecution on him while teaching him that refusing to resign when requested by President Thabo Mbeki is unwise. It emerged in the affidavit that Mbeki and then-Justice Minister Panuel Maduna had asked Zuma to resign and leave politics in 2003 to avoid facing a major prosecution. However, Zuma refused to step down because Harley says Nguga had told him there was no case against him. Harley argues that Mkode Dimpia's decision to drop charges against Zuma was not solely based on the spy tapes. It included confidential representations by President Zuma, which the DA did not ask for. He says prosecutorial abuses that included leaking of sensitive information to the media to degrade Zuma was intended to affect public opinion. Harley also makes repeated references to the Browse Mall report that was illegally compiled by the Scorpions and leaked to Kwasatu. 
The 2007 report caused a stir as it suggested during Tabumbeki and Zuma's battle for the ANC that Angolan intelligence forces plotted to support then ex-Deputy President Zuma's attempt to ascend to the presidency. Therefore, Hali says Mche's decision to drop the charges was rational. He accuses the DA of perpetuating a myth that Zuma wants his day in court. He says Zuma challenged the NPA to charge him or forever hold their peace back in 2003 when he was still the deputy president of both the ANC and the country as he did not want to go to the ANC's elective conference as an accused. This was in direct response to the DA's claim that their application would help Zuma get his day in court. However, the DA's James Self says Harley's affidavit is baseless. We think that the affidavit is sloppily written. It is full of errors of fact and in law. It persists in the narrative that the prosecution against Jacob Zuma was a political conspiracy, yet it fails to provide the factual basis for this. It fundamentally fails to answer the central question that if there was a conspiracy to drop the prosecution, why could a judge not determine this rather than the National Director of Public Prosecution? President Jacob Zuma asked the High Court in Pretoria to dismiss the DA's application with costs, arguing it is fatally flawed and without merit. Attempts to get comment from both Nguka and McKethy were unsuccessful. I'm Amos Power in Johannesburg. On a visit to Bujumbura, the UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights has warned that stakeholders remain extremely concerned by rising tensions in Burundi ahead of a series of elections due to be held in the country this year. This comes after the Secretary-General also voiced concerns about violence in the country in the run-up to the presidential poll in June. Observers are worried that the possibility of incumbent President Pien Kurunzinza seeking a third term could lead to a return to unrest after a lengthy civil war was ended in 2005. Sharon Brasspiece reports. Zaid Rad Al Hussein is calling it a critical moment for Burundi as tensions simmer in a country all too familiar with the fog of war. Its future may well depend on which path is chosen by individual politicians and their supporters, as well as various key authorities over the next few weeks. The path of free and fair elections, which would strengthen and mature Burundi's still fragile democracy and enable an improvement in its dire socio-economic situation, or the path of violence and intimidation aimed at subverting democracy for the sake of gaining or maintaining uh, political power. A youth wing of Burundi's ruling party called the Imbonerakure is accused of harassing and even killing members of the opposition as anxiety rises over whether President Nkurunziza seeking a third term would violate a 2000 peace deal that ended the conflict between the Hutu and Tutsis in the country. For his part, Nkurunziza has yet to indicate whether he will in fact stand in the poll. Unless, unless the militia is brought under control and is subjected to the rule of law, then I think the situation in as far as Burundi is concerned is not just dangerous, but 
will become much more difficult and problematic, whether there are elections or no elections. And clearly, if the militia still continues to intimidate and harass, uh, then it's difficult to see how the elections could be fair and free. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon earlier expressed his concern about the rising political tensions in the country and encouraged Burundians to resolve their political differences through dialogue and without resorting to violence. While the High Commissioner has warned against examples of hate speech, expressing alarm at the direction the country is taking. Intimidation must stop and there is no reason for anyone, including the opposition, to threaten violence which in any case can never be justified. Any threat or implied threat to resort to, uh, to, resort to violence will only stoke tensions further. As many as 1,000 people were fleeing across the border into Rwanda daily, telling UN officials that their reason for leaving is fear of the ruling party's youth militia. Zaid called on the government to send a clear message that extremism and impunity would no longer prevail in the country. I'm Sherwin Ricebees at the United Nations, New York. The 14th Annual Oliver Empowerment Awards will be taking place at Empress Palace in Johannesburg, South Africa on the 23rd of this month. Hosted by Top Comedia and Channel Africa, these awards recognize and honor outstanding organizations and individuals contributing to South Africa's empowerment and transformation journey. Channel Africa will keep you up to date about these awards. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. As Ethiopia prepares to go for its national polls next month, citizens across the country are demanding accountability and transparency as far as delivery of social services are concerned. Channel Africa's correspondent Koleta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. 50 kilometers away from Addis Ababa, the Ethiopian capital, in a place called Bishoftu, pupils of Bishoftu Primary School go about their normal day at school. While others are in class, others are having their physical education exercise in the field. Bishoftu Primary School is one that can be considered as a success story in the region. It has experienced tangible changes ever since the parents of this school and the community around began making demands to the government for its education standards to be uplifted. The school now has a toilet block for girls only and another for boys. Before, the girls would hold their urge until they reached home since they feared sharing toilets with boys. Another evident change are the new classroom blocks that have replaced the mud and wattle ones. And students now don't have to sit four in one desk. The sitting arrangement is more comfortable. Dawit Badame, the chairman of the Bishoftu Social and Accountability Committee, led this Bishoftu community to demand for the changes in this school. He says that they need more of such positive changes now that Ethiopians know what their rights are. Yes, they, they, they are asking for their rights. You know, they know their own. Uh, if the transparency is there, if a good governance is there, it's no problem, you know. The lack of transparency and the good governance forces the people to ask the government for these reasons. And they are getting answer, truly. That is it. 
The demand for accountability from government is being steered by the Ethiopia Social Accountability Program, which is part of the promotion of basic services program, which is implemented by the government at all levels. The team leader of this program, Rolf Hanning, however, insists that service delivery should not be taken as a one-way traffic system where only the government must work. Citizens, too, must play their role. Oh, it's always a two-way process. I mean, uh, we are all partners in, uh, in the same uh, kind of an exercise. And that is what makes social accountability so interesting. It is that people have feel that they can make the difference. And the citizens of Ethiopia, and they really have the feeling that they can make the difference and that they can contribute to the improvement of the services. Of course, there is a role for the government. And of course, there is a role for the service providers as well. But if you see and you bring them together and you don't start to blame and shame each other, but try to work in a constructive way, Way, then you see that there is achievements possible. Dirma Kebede is from Jerusalem Children and Community Development Organization. His local organization moves around different regions in the country to create awareness amongst Ethiopians on what their social rights are and help them identify their needs. Girma says that at first people did not know that government could listen, but they are now more encouraged after some of their demands have been met. The people need well, the people need service. Practice they need quality service. The service where we can be in education, can be in health. But as we have seen practically, they are demanding now. With the growth of the country in terms of economic and social development, they are demanding more service from time to time, which can address their need. As Ethiopia prepares to go for its national polls in May 2015, more demands are being prepared to be raised to the government. Demands for better health facilities, rural development and good roads and infrastructure. Collector Enjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Bishoftu in Ethiopia. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetwa. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Le soleil élevé. Weya wema. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibwanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehoku. Member of the Executive Council for Economic Development in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province, Mike Mabuyakulu, has called on business people in the townships as well as informal traders to remain calm amid the current wave of attacks on foreign nationals. He says that the provincial government has set about a quarter of a million dollars for the constitution of a provincial association for all traders. Cyril Mguni reports. Senior government officials have engaged with various communities in areas in and around the province to condemn any forms of attack on foreign nationals. The spate of attacks and looting of shops have continued sporadically throughout the province. 
traders in various townships as well as informal traders in and around Echegun municipality were addressed by the Provincial Department of Economic Development to express their concerns coupled with the promise for a better life in the near future. South African Airways has denied reports that it is in talks to sell itself to a Chinese airline. According to the reports, SAA is in discussions with Air China and Hainan Airlines to set up a West Africa-based hub or even sell a stake in the company. Financial news service Bloomberg broke the story, citing people familiar with the matter. An SAA spokesperson has told Reuters that the talks with Air China will lead to them commencing operations between Beijing and Johannesburg. The Uganda Revenue Authority will deploy its customs officials at the port of Dar es Salaam by the end of this month. This comes at a time when Tanzania is strategizing to embark on a fully-fledged single customs territory during the next financial year. URA officials will undertake the mandate of facilitating clearance of cargo destined to Uganda at the Dar es Salaam port. The move will also enable them to take into account prohibitions and restrictions provided for under their respective laws while at the same time ensuring that revenue due to Uganda government is collected. The empowerment of local farmers is the only remedy to secure and sound-performing agriculture sector in Zambia. The German Farmers Association says empowering farmers is a vital step and should be top priority if any country is to have a successful agricultural sector. The association says the policymakers have for many years neglected the fact that agriculture was a crucial part of any toolbox and a crucial part of a country's development policy. It says besides a reliable political framework, strong and independent farmers' organizations contribute highly to a viable farming sector and a general economic growth. Namibia's customers have been suffering from headaches and heartaches ever since the start of upgrading its core banking platform last month. The bankers say they are aware of the problem, although NetBanker chose to say as little as possible and asked to respond to queries raised by customers. It says it's aware of the problems and that they are dealing with them in the best manner possible through direct client engagement. Indicators at the Sawa on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We come in live to you from Johannesburg. We in South Africa. The US dollar trades at twelve four one South African Rand, nine seven six Botswana Pula, seven two seven in Zambia, zero six seven British pound, nine four euro, gold one one nine eight dollars, platinum one one five seven dollars an ounce, brand crude. Six to three dollars for one cent a barrel. That's an economic update on Channel Africa. Mario Edwards runs the desk, and Lulu Gabu is the head talk talking head today. And I'm Tabiso Lohoku with an economic update. A sports update up next with Tommy Gluza.
In your sport, the Nigerian Football Federation is set to announce Stephen Keshi as the new Super Eagles coach, but without Daniel Amukachi serving as an assistant. Tony Ubani has the story. The Nigeria Football Federation is set to announce Stephen Keshi as the new Super Eagles coach, but without Daniel Amukachi serving as assistant. The two parties have been in talks over a new contract with the Nigeria Football Federation, offering him a two-year contract extension in March and sources at the Nigeria Football Federation have informed that Keshi will sign the contract in the next few days, especially today, with reports having it that it might soon be as soon as today, Friday, April 17th. South African premier site Orlando Pirates will travel to Gabon today to play against Bunama in their CAF Confederations Cup match. They will only be back on Wednesday, just in time for their league match against the University of Pretoria on Friday. Amid the Afrophobic attacks in Durban and Johannesburg, respectively, the PSL and Orlando Pirates chairperson Dr. Ivan Koza is worried and concerned, uh, and concerned as the team is traveling to Gabon. Koza is pleading for a bigger solution to the situation. We somehow understand the challenges that are experienced by our people. What we are asking as football is to be sensitive because all the PSL teams have got players coming from the rest of the continent. The very same people that you know are involved in these attacks, they're supporting various teams. And now further afield, holders Arsenal are unlikely to start slowly against championship side Reading in the FA Cup semi-final at the Wembley on Saturday, having learned the lessons from two years ago at the same stage against Weekend Athletic. Although Arsenal are the overwhelming favourites, Wenger noted Reading's strengths. They have many players who have the experience uh, in uh, Premier League. Uh, they have a good offensive potential with Pogrebniak, uh, McKee, uh, Robson Canu, McCleary. Uh, they're all dangerous players. They're very efficient. They have a, a style who goes a lot through crosses. They, uh, they're very efficient on crosses and uh, I believe uh, for us it, uh, they, can, they can be a danger going forward. World number one tennis player Novak Djokovic was named as the Laureate Sportsman of the Year last night at an awards ceremony in Shanghai. Djokovic is currently playing at the Monte Carlo Masters and was not at the event to collect his second Sportsman of the Year award. And the Laureus Academy has chosen Novak Djokovic. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ni hao, Shanghai, ni hao, China. Um, I apologize uh, for not being with you uh, present tonight um, for the Laureus Awards. Uh, I'm very privileged uh, to be here and to receive uh, this award from Your Highness uh, here in Monte Carlo. Um, it's, it's been a, a phenomenal 2014 for me, one of the best years of my life with the highlights of um, winning Wimbledon and uh, regaining the number one of the world and of course more importantly, becoming a father and getting married. So uh, I want to thank you once again. This Sportswoman of the Year award went to Ethiopia's Gendebe Dibaba, who has set three world records over the last 14 months in the 1,500 meters, 3,000 meters, and 5,000 meters indoor events. Dibaba, who broke three world records in different events in two weeks, was also not present at the Kliza ceremony. And the Law Youth Academy has chosen Gendebe Dibaba. For me, for my family, and for my country of Ethiopia, I am so happy to win this award. Thank you. 
And our tennis, it was a day of drama at the Monte Carlo Masters yesterday. Catherine Whitaker brings us up to date with all the action. Shockwaves reverberated around the Monte Carlo Country Club today as world number two Roger Federer was beaten 6-4-7-6 by Frenchman Gael Monfils. Monfils now plays Grigor Dimitrov in the quarters. Narrowly avoiding his own upset was Rafael Nadal. He narrowly scraped past American John Isner. That win for Nadal means his quest for a ninth title here in Monte Carlo will resume tomorrow again. And finally, South Africa's Darren Fichat is among the frontrunners at the Shenzhen International and he has opened with a 68-4 under par. And that's good for the sixth place. Fichat is happy with how he had played so far. Happy as four under. Um, after nine, I was, I was five under, so I didn't have a really great back nine. I struggled to make putts. The hole was getting smaller. It was just messy. But, but very happy to be four under off the first round. That's the end of our sport. And back to Lulu Gabo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, UN expresses concern over attacks on foreigners in South Africa and concern over rising political tensions in Burundi. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for this week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Selina Dobong, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of our for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa is Umanji with a track titled Muruti Shumba. Tibet, 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 Tibet,